0: Welcome to Talent Matters, the podcast where talent, skills and grit take center stage. This podcast is brought to you by Sanderson, a leader in global talent solutions. This is episode five, and I am delighted to be joined by Keith Barry, brain hacker.
1: Welcome, Keith. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you.
0: It's good to see you. So um, we're just talking there before we started about life in general and this podcast. We always like to start with talent and the early kind of interests that you had. what kind of kid were you what were you into
1: so i suppose uh, with my background the first uh, real shift in my life came when i was five or six which is when i got my first ever magic set and that was a paul daniels magic set so Anybody over the age of 40 might know who Paul Daniels is. But anybody, Paul and oh, Debbie McGee. Yeah, I mean, anybody under the age of 40 probably has no idea who I'm talking about. But yeah, I, I got a Paul Daniels magic set when I was five or six. And that kind of got my interest going in magic. But, you know, to get back to your question, what kind of kid was I? I was pretty normal growing up, except for the fact that I would badger people to try and show them some magic every once in a while. And uh, had a very happy childhood for the most part. Um, you know, just uh, we lived on a, you know, a real country road, I suppose. So, You're from Waterford. Yeah, but the country in Waterford, so yeah. as it was then, it's not the country anymore, but Williamstown, which is back down more East Road. So my... I suppose daytime activities after school were uh, you know straight outside every day on the BMX bicycle uh you know just run around the fields with the lads and all the rest of it and and then in my teenage years I got transferred into Mount Sin Secondary School which I I didn't really like that much like it's pretty uh harsh inner city school in Waterford and you know got quite badly bullied in there so uh I, you know it affected me but I was quite resilient so after school, I kind of let it go and I still had a great time after school. But, you know, school days were quite difficult. And then, yeah, when I was 17, I got as far away from Waterford as I could get. So I picked Galway to go to uh, in college. So, but but you know, overall, as a family life, like I'm still very close to my parents and my sister. and We had a very stable family life and a great, happy uh, childhood. Um, and then obviously the whole way through that, I was, you know, doing magic and, and kind of yeah. like researching magic, you know.
0: It's I was only thinking about this earlier on because I think mean, we all have something that piques our interest when we're young that we get obsessed about or that mm. we get really, really into and then you wonder about people that are growing up today with social media and their yeah. phones are distracting them all the time. And you don't see I think as many kids that find their niche early and get mm-hmm. really into it and obsess about it and become great at it. Do you think you'd be very different if you were if you were growing up the way kids today are growing up?
1: Potentially. Depends on parenting. Mm. I always blame the parents. People don't like to hear that. Mm. I always say, so when I, you know, very often people come to me with, you know, issues that perhaps their children have. But I always just, like, I don't even look at the kid for a moment to talk to the parents and find out about them. And, And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a battle going on right now. And the battle is, you know, the age of digital distraction that we're in. We need digitization. We need to be malleable. But we need to be mindful of what it's doing to our mindset. And I think people know that, but they're not acknowledging that.
0: Yeah, well, it's lazy, isn't it? It's easy parenting to put your kid in front of an iPad.
1: Well, this is it. It's two separate things. So, for example, I believe in the world I'm in now, I would still have found my way because my parents, my parents would have encouraged me to explore a lot of different areas and find my passion. So, to give a real concrete example, I suppose, my own kids, right? So I always say, program your kids or your kids will be programmed for you, right? And... And what I mean by that is they're not robotic. But my kids have been programmed to be more positive than negative. They've been programmed to be more productive than non-productive. That's what I mean by mental programming. Not that they're robotic human beings. They've got their own personalities. And we have arguments. And I have challenges as a parent. But they've already found their passions. Here's my point. So uh, my son Braden, he's 12. He plays rugby and he does karate. And he loves both of them equally. Now if you were to ask me if I'm a pushy parent. I would have. If I was a real pushy parent. I would have kind of pushed them hard into magic, right? I encouraged them to do magic. I have any like I've I have the magical house, right? I have every magic trick possibly known to man, um, and I, I I surrounded them with that. But they just weren't interested, so I didn't push that upon them. But I made sure that they explored as much stuff in life as early as humanly possible to find their their passions. And right now, and for a considerable number of years, his has been rugby, and you know uh karate and then yes the xbox right i'm not gonna lie and then with my daughter uh, she's predominantly nearly wholeheartedly all the way into karate Now she's good at art and other things as well but you know she's the european kenpo karate champion for example and that's not because we pushed her into that she found that and found her tribe she loves it like loves it with a passion and i think that's important i think to allow kids and encourage kids to explore as many different areas as possible and honestly when it comes to the over digitization of the world especially with kids i think it's important distraction is key you can't get them off technology you can't stop them you can try i think you'll lose that battle but distraction is key so i distract my kids as much as humanly possible and you know i think right now uh you know there there is an overwhelming avalanche of kids who are suffering with their mental health and you know we talk about mental health a lot but I actually don't hear people you're really talking hard about what's happening with teenagers right now like I've met I don't know how many teenagers with eating difficulties I've met I don't know how many teenagers dealing with social anxiety and I do believe it's twofold. It's parenting and then it's also social media. And they're the issues right there. And if people choose to ignore those issues and say, oh, you know, I'm not so sure it's social media. Oh, I have been doing my best as a parent. I would, for the most part, disagree, you know. Anyway, I don't know where we started with that <laughs> but I go off on tangents and rants. Tangents so there you good. go. So feel free to interrupt me. And... Tangents
0: are good. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I thought about when we were thinking about this podcast is that, your TED Talk has had over 10 million views on oh, Well, actually,
1: over 19 million. Is it 19 on, million? Well, 19 million on, on the TED website, and then oh. probably another 10 million on yeah, YouTube itself. Yeah, so yeah. I just looked
0: at YouTube, and I was like, "Geez, 10 million views there. So some people know you as an entertainer. Mm. Some people know you as an author. Some people know you from your TED Talk. Yeah. But you're actually a scientist. You went to UCG,
1: was it? Or Yeah, UCG. It's now N-U-I-G, of course. But yeah, ultimately, when I was 17, I went up to uh, Galway, and it was interesting. Like... Uh, Uh, I can never remember his first name but Mr. Barry I used to know him as he was our career guidance counsellor and he's probably listening to this now and ultimately he said he gave us one of those aptitude tests I am the prime example of how you should never listen to an aptitude test because he said to me listen uh, here's what you're strong at you're strong at maths and you're strong at English and so on but whatever you do if you go to college just don't do science because it's not strong for you but in my head I always knew I was going to be a magician or a mentalist or a hypnotist so you know, I only went to college because my parents were like, that's great as a hobby, but you're going to college. So I thought, just to kind of prove everybody wrong, what I choose? I didn't really want to do anything. So I thought, oh, I'll just do science, just to kind of put it up against him. And then went to Galway. And when I graduated uh, in 98, I actually graduated with the highest marks that anybody had gotten uh, in Galway University at that time. I actually had a paper published as an undergraduate on uh, kinetic chemistry. So ultimately... You know, so what I, was the degree? So was it a general science? Yeah, degree? it was BSE. But uh, mm. at the end of it, I was really zoned in on chemistry. Right. So uh, like I was signed up for a PhD and, wow. uh, you know, Professor Spillan nearly tore his hair out when I walked into him one day and I just said, listen, I'm not coming back for the PhD. And he was like, why not? Um, because like I was kind of his golden child because I'd done so well. And I said, I'm just not really interested in chemistry, even though I've done well in it. And I'm not really interested in science. I'm going to be a magician. And he just looked at me sideways. And he's like, you're crazy. I was like, yeah, I know. And it
0: does sound pretty random when you say somebody, you know, I'm going to be a magician. Yeah, I know.
1: It? Yeah, yeah oh, completely. Yeah, I get it completely. It's the same with comedy, you know, go get a real job. Yeah. And uh, But I did need a real job. So that's when I moved down to Dublin to Sandyford. And I got a job with Oriflame, which is a Swedish cosmetics company. Mm. So I'm a cosmetic scientist by trade. So I used to invent makeup, basically.
0: Wow. And then how did the the passion and the hobby of, of magic transition into something that could be more than like a part-time gig or more than... Yeah,
1: know? so I always, in my head, I don't think I heard it anywhere. In my head, I always thought, always ensure that when you decide to go full-time... The reason for doing that is that your hobby has kind of monetized, money-wise, has outweighed your career. So I thought to myself, just be as busy as possible. You know, And at that time, I was doing everything, right? I was doing, you, you name it, kids' parties. I was doing weddings. I was here in Dublin. So I was doing, like, the kitchen nightclub at the time of Friday nights. I
0: remember. I remember the kitchen nightclub. The, the stroll around magic stuff. Yeah, yeah so that was me. Vaguely. Yeah, so that was me, right? A lot me, of people right? who went to the kitchen don't remember much, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they remember. might remember the fellow who did the magic trick where the carrot stuck on the ceiling. Well, that was me, right? Wow. And that's a
0: long time ago now. Yeah, right? and then the
1: likes of Bill Cullen, uh, you know, he was very good to me and he hired me for some corporate events and then I ping-ponged. And eventually at one stage, anyway, I realized that I was making enough money from mm. my hobby to let the day job go. And, and that's what I did, right? So... I just decided um, it was 23. So that's 24 years ago now, give or take. And ultimately I just wrote up my notice. And again, I was doing really good in Oriflame. Uh, I was working up to be process chemist, which means that like, for example, even at 23, I was being flown over to Poland on my own to look after full scale production sometimes. Um, so doing quite well in there, and I just, you know, just handed in my notice one day and said, "Look, I'm going for this full time." And, and you know, in my mind, I knew I was making enough money to do that, and, and that's what I did. So jumped into a full time, and then just grafted from there, you know.
0: So milestone one is almost: is there enough income to sustain? Yeah. yeah. What were the other milestones? Because when you look at some of the highlights, there is, you know, having the TV show, the TV mm. show going international into different yeah. countries, et cetera. So what what were the kind of milestones that? made you stop and think along the way that you were reaching different levels?
1: I suppose the big one would have been 2003 where um, a production company, not far from here actually, Midas Productions, I hooked up with them and we just filmed me doing magic around the streets of Dublin. And we brought that into RTE. And ultimately, you know, a few months later, close encounters with Keith Barry was born and that went out prime time. So that was like half six Sunday evenings on RT and that did really well like that popped and that went international then didn't yeah it? actually that sold really well for RT at the time so that sold into 33 countries or something for them and ultimately I did that so that was the first real milestone here where I was gaining some recognition and people started to know who I was still didn't tour in, in the live circuit off the back of that I waited till after season 2 of that so in 2004 I did another season of Close Encounters and ultimately then I toured off the back of that and um, and, and then uh, and then I just started doing specials with RT because I, I realized it's not sustainable to put out that volume of content every year given the budgets that we have here in Ireland. so so yeah, and then uh, 2006, I'd been going to the states from 2004 out to LA uh, and spending like you know just all of my own money and getting into debt by being in LA and just like just trying to break LA. So for me, breaking LA was going to nightclubs every single night, not drinking. Going in there, doing magic, bypassing cues. Like I laugh. I was listening yesterday to a radio show, but there is you know some kid out there who's like kind of gay crashing the BAFTAs and the Oscars and all that. I mean, that's what I was doing in LA all those years ago. I was just gay crashing everything, but I got known. So I was doing like I would gay crash into a nightclub and I'd be doing magic for, you know, it could be anybody—Justin Timberlake or Nicole Scherzinger—all these different celebrities. And ultimately, there was one night after two years of doing this and getting nowhere. So I was out there just getting into debt. But after two years of doing that, I was doing magic for Paul Rosenberg, uh, who was Eminem's manager, Um, uh, Eve, who's a rap artist, Uh, one of the Osbournes, Kelly Osbourne, and Paris Hilton. So I was doing magic for them and they were screaming, kind of running around the nightclub at the reactions to what I was doing. And then ultimately there was an MTV executive in the corner of the room and she came over and said, do you want your own MTV show? And I said, yes, you know, straight away. And this is in the middle of a nightclub, probably, I don't know, 1am at night. And uh, and she said, okay. And my manager at the time, he was there and he went over and right there and then they did a handshake deal. And the next week I was down in Cancun in Mexico for my MTV special, which was Keith Barry Brainwashed. Um, and then I, over the years, then I did more and more television out there as well. So the, the, the real milestones would have been, you know, 2003, 2006 was my CBS special, Keith Barry Extraordinary. So that's huge because that's the biggest network in America. And and then after that, I suppose the next big milestone would have been headlining in Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, you know.
0: Wow. Wow. And then I suppose there's some, uh, some other milestones in terms of, some of the people that you interacted with, I remember that, what was the blindfold? The blindfold yeah, so the drive? Yes, the blindfold drive.
1: drive. I originally did it here, actually. I did that, I think it was the first season of Close Encounters with Keith Barry. I, I, uh, I basically hijacked um, Catherine Thomas and I drove a car blindfolded, like at speed, around the Wicklow Mountains with her screaming her head off because she had no idea what was going to happen. And then in 2006, for my CBS show in the States, which I suppose just got a lot more traction, I did it again with Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycat Dolls and the Pussycat Dolls were huge at the time. I also did it with the rap star Eve and she's huge out in the States as well. Uh, But ultimately they were the ones that really kind of popped um, from the drive perspective and uh, you know those ones are still up on YouTube up on my YouTube channel you can look at them there.
0: And that's very much the entertainment side of things. Mm. But then there's the I suppose the deeper side around mindset and performance and I know you've worked with high performance athletes Mm. you've worked with On leadership, So maybe tell us a little bit about your kind of philosophy on on mindset.
1: Well, I think, so it's interesting, right? I've got this brand that ultimately now to encompass everything that I do is Brain Hacker. Because 50% of what I do is hacking brains purely for fun. I make no excuses for that. Sometimes people get confused by by my brand because they're so familiar with me off the television, right? But they may not know that 50% of my work for a considerable number of years has been as a brain hacker, helping people alter their mindset. So, you know, just so people understand, when I was 14 is when I started with my journey, if you like, into hypnotism. So I started learning hypnosis when I was 14. And then when my girlfriend at the time was my wife now, when we were in college, she was in Galway also, she was studying psychology. So I started to read all of her psychology books. So then I started to learn about neuro-linguistic programming. And then I started to learn, you know, everything from, Freudian techniques all the way through to, you know, as I said, like things like neurolinguistic programming, but other, also cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. And I qualified then as a hypnotist. So that's when I started right all the way back then when I was kind of 23, 24. It was really when I started to help people with their mindset, quietly in the background, didn't really make much noise about it. Um, and then I suppose it was well before COVID, probably in my late thirties that I started to do a lot of keynotes and those keynotes were based upon really how to hack your subconscious mind for whatever it is that you want to achieve. And, And I'm still fascinated by the amount of people listening to this and the amount of people out there are aware of their subconscious mind, but that's it. They've no awareness of, you know, how it's structured. They don't know awareness of how it works and they've no, certainly no awareness of how to hack their subconscious mind. So that's what I've been doing predominantly in that space for the past 10 years. Like, A, it started with keynotes, then B, a lot of one-to-one work. I did some seminars then and I still do some seminars again. A lot of this work, uh, I'm in a kind of privileged position, if you like, that I don't have to advertise that much. So that's why people don't hear about it perhaps sometimes, unless Mm. you're following me on LinkedIn, which is where, you know, and I'm really only, I suppose that's the space that people started to find out a lot about this work because I've really only pushed LinkedIn since COVID. I was never really there before because it's not a space that you would find I suppose, somebody in the public eye like me, right? Uh, so when people see it's me, half the people don't even believe it's me. They think it's like that I've hired somebody to set up an account. I'm on LinkedIn nearly every day. Hmm. And and that's where I post this type of content. Uh, and still now, yeah, I work a lot with athletes, one-to-one on, you know, peak performance, how to get in, into a flow state. And then I also work with a lot of organizations on leadership strategies and leadership skills. And, you know, I know a lot of people might think, What does Keith Barry know about leadership? Well, look, first of all, leadership is a state of mind. But secondary, you know, if you think of it like this, I just did, um, you know, the Borgosh, right? So the Borgosh, my own core team is about 20 people. So I'm leading that team of 20 people. And that's not new. Like, you know, for 20 years, I've toured or longer. And I always have a team of people with me. So I've got to lead them. And then also, you know, in somewhere like the Borgosh, you've got an extended team then that goes up to about 50 people and I've got to lead those people. So not only do I speak about leading, I practice what I preach, I suppose is what I'm saying. I come from a certain place with that and I have a different take on it than a lot of people do as well, you know. Yeah, and
0: I think that's where we first came across each other was working on some of those conferences over the years. And I think what you do really well is the combination of entertainment Mm. with actual substantive stuff that people can take away from it. Because when somebody goes to a conference, They want to take something away, but they want to enjoy it. They want to feel energized. And I think that's something that you balance really well. And where I want to go next is probably around goal setting Mm. because and you touched on the pandemic there. And I remember, obviously, for somebody that's in your business where you're an entrepreneur, you've got to. Yeah eat what you kill, as uh, so to speak, and then the, the world shut down in the pandemic. I remember you talked about goal setting and how you had to reinvent yourself in the digital world and take mm. some really massive steps and massive action, as you called it at the time. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about when that pandemic hit, what, what changes did you have to make? Yeah,
1: like, uh, I think since I was very young, right, I have this mindset of nobody owes me anything. So when the pandemic hit and when I saw just the amount of people that were whinging about the government and whinging about the banks and whinging about the war and whinging about this and moaning and, and having a gripe about this and, and there was all this noise going on. And then you had this other cohort of people who seemingly could just afford to kind of take a holiday and they were, you know, baking banana bread and making videos about that and, and saying, oh, isn't this great? I'm getting to spend much more time with my family and I'm realigning my values now. And I was sitting there thinking, well, none of this is relevant to me. And what I mean by that is, I truly believe, like, the sun goes up, goes down. We all sit in the toilet the same way in the mornings. We all brush our teeth the same way in the mornings, right? So in my head, I was looking at these so-called influencers who were putting out this content, and I realize, and I know some of these people, right? And I know behind the scenes, it's a disaster zone, right? Like, they're not happy. And, you know, taking that time off didn't make them happy. Uh, And I always have, like, in my mind... It's aligned in my head all the time because I've done work on this on myself. You know, what I don't want. I, so I'll start with this. I always say, define what you don't want to be before you know where you're going. So very often people goal set, back to you, you know what you're talking about. So set goals, you know, great. But actually before you set goals, define who you don't want to be. And I've said that to a lot of people and, and, they, and, I'm, and I've yet to find somebody who said to me, wow, I've done that. I've, I haven't found anybody who's done it before until I get them to do it. And that's a really interesting strategy. So for me, who I don't want to be is two words. Or sorry, oh, I suppose three words. An absent father. I know too many people who, you know, do the 5am grind, then they grind it out till the end of the day. They see their family for 20 minutes and then that's it. And they, do, no, they have no true deep relationship with their family or with their kids. So I don't want to be an absent father. And we were speaking off air. You know, I'm on and off planes a lot at the moment, but I'm very mindful of, turned to my wife the other day. Don't take any more work. I don't want any more work. I have enough work coming in. Let's put family time in. Let's put holiday time in. So for me, um, yeah, when the pandemic hit, when everybody else was bouncing up and down on their mini trampolines and watching Joe Wicks, like I got to work, right? I didn't need more time with the family because I always have that in check. So for me... It was, going back to my formula, I have a very simple formula, I follow it all the time, which is SW plus MA times SATT equals GS. Go back to the formula every time something happens. Uh, and it's a simple formula. I could talk to you about the parasympathetic, the sympathetic nervous system, the limbic system. Like, none of it's going to relate, I suppose, to people out there or to your right. But what does relate is a simple formula. So the SW is your subconscious Y, add in plus Massive action. So what does massive action entail? Multiplied times your, S to, uh, your, um, your subconscious attitude uh, equals guaranteed success. Simple as that. So that's kind of the formula, right? And ultimately, once I go back to the formula, every time I always get that success that I desire. So, you know, for me in the pandemic to get back to it, I decided, okay, I'm going to flip virtual early. I'm going to go pivot fast. So Within a couple of weeks, when everybody was still trying to figure this thing out, I invested a lot of money into my cabin in my back garden, which just happened to be there by chance. It had just been built. It was just supposed to be a space to kind of write in and be creative in. So I invested about 10,000 euros into that space. I wasn't relying on the government, I was, wasn't was waiting for a grant or anything. I just put the money in, um, called Joe Clear, it was a great friend of mine. He's worked for me for 20 plus years. Joe, figure out this thing called Zoom spec up the cabin, let's go. And then I got to work. So yeah, I I paid, a I'm laughing about it now because I'm telling this story for the first time. So I went to fiverr.com, it's a great resource place. Have you ever been the Fiverr? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So fiverr.com and I paid some guy, I don't know, like it wasn't a Fiverr, It's like 50 quid to, uh, to just give me a list of the top, uh, I think it was, yeah, top 1000 companies in Ireland. So I just needed that. So you give me the top 1000 companies in Ireland and then I got five email addresses per company, uh, made sure it was GDPR compliant and all the rest of it. And then ultimately we sent out, me and my wife, we split it between us. We personally, not through, I have automated systems, so I've got mm-hmm. active campaign. I didn't mm-hmm. use active campaign. One by one, we sent out 5,000 emails to tell people that I'd pivoted and I was doing uh, work in the virtual space, both keynotes and entertainment. And nothing happened. And I thought, well, that was the greatest waste of time and energy and money possible. I was like, well, that's just terrible, wasn't it? And then I got one gig towards the end of that summer. I don't know, I got a gig and kind of hacked my way through that. And then the avalanche happened. I just got every gig that was going. So like, and not just ours. And they still. were
0: brilliant. Because I remember we mm. did we did our talent con that year yeah. with Geraldine King and Geraldine and myself and Alison Common. We did, I think it was a six hour a 6-hour live stream mm. from from Croke Park yeah. and you seamlessly patched in and it was it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, and you know it, it was just great to be able to work through that period of time. Like at the end of it, I think myself and Joe were the two people that could actually genuinely say we had cabin fever by the end of it because we'd been locked in the cabin for a couple of years. But look, it was great for business. And for me that's just the kind of mind that I have. Like I suppose, you know, I you know, Years ago, like when I was starting out, right, I lived in a, a tiny flat in Northumberland Row and it was like, like it was terrible. It was the size of this little area that we're in here, mm. and uh, you know, and I could have whinged and moaned that the bank weren't giving me money for a mortgage. I'm not. I'm just not built like that. I don't really know why, except I do a lot of work on my own mental programming, and so, so yeah, like I didn't give a smidgen of thought into. You know, I, I need somebody else's help. I just pivoted, went online, and went for it. And and then if that failed, I think it just would have figured out another way. Do you know what I mean? Um and then yes, yeah, so that kept us busy the whole way through kind of that COVID period. And we still do virtual shows now, like I did with last week. So go week. back to the cabin? Yeah, rarely. Yeah. It's kind of a novelty now. <laughs> I, I <laughs> you know? haven't.
0: I spent a lot of the pandemic sitting in a very small office up in the attic mm. and I did the same thing. We put in some lighting, some yeah. cameras and a, a boom mic and I I, I, get, I, can't go into that room anymore. Really? It's full of dust. Yeah, I'm very happy to be back in the in the real world. Oh yeah, so
1: am I. I mean, it's busy now. So like, I, as I mentioned earlier, like I'm on and off flights pretty much every week now and uh, and I do enjoy like the excitement and the adventure of just being out and about meeting new people and seeing new places and, and mm. traveling again you know yeah
0: i loved what you said earlier about uh, not being an absent father and i would completely agree with that because i've three kids and, mm. and three step kids so we're we're very family focused yeah and um, kind of brings me to obviously there's an, in, an intensity about your personality in terms of you're very driven you're entrepreneurial mm. you're ambitious when it comes to unwinding and relaxing how do you switch off
1: Oh, I'm brilliant at that. Are you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just came from Southside Angling, where I bought myself a brand new pair of waders. So I'm preparing now for the salmon season ahead, Uh, but not just the salmon season. Like, I am into any kind of fishing, anytime, anywhere. So fishing is my unwind, if you like. So, you know, I chose fishing over golf. It's, I just don't have time for both. So for me... And do fishing, you go
0: alone? Do you go with a friend? So of both. Yeah. So I'm
1: very happy to go on my own mm-hmm. and very happy sometimes to meet up generally just with one fishing mate. Mm-hmm. And you could find me in a river, you know, for example, down the Blackwater. But you could equally find me down on the back strand of Tremor Beach fishing for bass or sea trout. You know, so I fish if I can all year round. I haven't actually fished in a couple of months now. More to do with the weather and the fact that the dolphins and porpoises ran up uh, the shore this year, so the cod didn't. I did run not up the expect shore. the podcast to go into the dolphins there you and go. porpoises. Oh, listen, I That's could I could, <laughs> I could I could talk to you forever about fishing. So yeah, so fishing is is my passion, and then then actually recently I well so I so there's a couple of things that I do. So fishing is one. Gardening, I'm crazy about gardening, like crazy about. It. Like, but oh, I, I'm a bit of a Neanderthal. For some reason, like uh, with fishing. You know, there's a lot of catch and release, rightly so. But I normally go places where legally I'm allowed catch and keep the fish and go cook it. Same thing with gardening. I'm not into really planting flower bulbs. It's more spuds and, you know... Uh, Broccoli, peas, you name it, and and I've got a small back garden, but I just have loads of containers, and I just grow whatever I can, and I try and beat the butterflies and beat the slugs every year because I want to eat organic. Uh, barbecuing is my third thing, so it'll be like literally fishing, gardening, barbecuing. They're the three things. Like I barbecue the turkey every year at Christmas, and I barbecue wow. even now. I probably barbecue the whole way through winter. I barbecue probably four times a week. Very good. Um, so they're the ways i went and then reading. I'm a voracious reader. I think too many people are just listening to podcasts these days, you know, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. I mean, we're on a podcast now, right? But I just mean in general, people don't read enough. Uh, so I literally have a gigantic library. My wife gives out to me because I like literally, there'd be 30 books will come in the door at one time. She's like, you can't read all of those. I, I I keep explaining to her, it's not about reading them all. It's about having a library of unread books that I can just put my hand up and go, I'm going to read that one today. Mm. Or or for research, I'll use them. So I'll read on...
0: And you like the physical book rather than the Kindle? Yeah,
1: I don't use the Kindle at all. Do you not? No. I also, like, I'm uh, I'm big into sleep at the moment. And I've educated my... Can you
0: sleep? Do you sleep well?
1: Yeah. I mean, off and on. Depends on certain periods of time because I'm traveling so much. So How I do have... How
0: feel at our age, because uh, we're a similar vintage... Mm. Uh, I used to sleep great. I remember I I slept so well that uh, the house was broken into years ago. They mm. came in, took a few things, took wow. the car, and I slept through it. And it yeah. was a small house. It was my first house. Uh, whereas since having kids and since kind of being in the in the forties now, I'm a very light sleeper. Yeah. And I'm kind of five hours a night. So do you get do you get eight hours, seven? Hours? I aim I aim to
1: get seven. So seven is the optimal level. And then ultimately, I fall asleep real quick every night. Doesn't even matter if I'm tired or not. I'll get into bed. and fall asleep real quick. And very often, though, I will wake up and that's the issue for a lot of people. So, mm. I, I mean, I've done Do a lot of up a
0: device when you wake up.
1: I, no, I've done a lot of research in this area for a very specific reason that I can't talk about right now. But I'll let you know down the line when I can talk about it. But ultimately, um, with sleep, so I know a lot about the space Um a lot of sleep experts will tell you, you know, maybe to get up and have a walk around. I fully wholeheartedly disagree so for me, if you need to go to the bathroom, that's fine, right? But like low-level light, try not to turn on the main light in the bathroom, try to keep the light as low as possible, uh, and then just immediately get back into bed. And if those whirring negative thoughts or busy thoughts or whatever it is that come into your mind, I mean, really that's what keeps us awake. I have any amount of kind of mental hacks to get around that. So one being just a, a relaxation visualization that I do, uh, and that will get me back to sleep. But I uh, I don't bother with a Whoop uh, device. I don't bother. I have an Apple Watch. I don't wear it going to bed. I think it's just bad to be measuring that all of the time. I think it's good to measure for a short period of time so you know what to do. Mm. But once you know what to do, then get rid of the Whoop or get rid of the Apple Watch because I think you can overanalyze and overmeasure it. You know yourself if you've gotten optimum levels of sleep and you know that if you're wearing those devices, you know, half-life of coffee is somewhere between six and nine hours depending on on our metabolism so ultimately you know if you want to measure that measure it but ultimately you know don't eat three hours before bedtime you know don't have coffee within seven or eight hours before bedtime get off your devices an hour before bedtime but nobody wants to hear this everybody wants the easy fix right so that's why i don't use a kindle i would say to people who use a kindle if you know if you can just get some kind of blue light blocker i tend to use i've got Um, these glasses that are apparently blue light blockers. The science is kind of out on all of this, just so we're clear. So I've read the science on this. Half the scientists say blue light blockers work, half the scientists don't. So they are are disagreeing on that. I always say you want to kick in your circadian rhythm as best as you can. So therefore, when we're going to night, when the sun goes down, you want the light in your bedroom to go down. So if you're on a Kindle, even put on a, a pair of light sunglasses to look through. So you're just bringing down that level of light into your eyes. So it doesn't even matter if it's blue light blockers. I just think it's smart mm. to bring down the level of light into your eyes. Um, and I do think reading just an old-fashioned book helps tire out your eyes and your mind quicker than a Kindle would, you know. Mm. The
0: other thing that that some people are jumping on the bandwagon with that I've, I've seen on your social media is the ice bats. Oh, yeah. Talk to us about what you get from that or what what you feel the, the value is.
1: So it's interesting. I'll be very open here about the ice baths, right? Uh, I, the reason I started to put out ice baths is I just did one. I don't know how long ago it was now. I, I filmed one and put it out. And then I looked at the view insights and I was like, wow, these are breaking the out al- that that just broke the algorithm. Wow. Like I got like whatever it was, 37,000 plays on Instagram and yada. Uh But here's the but. The reason that is, is because right now it's a fad. Mm. So, I'm a fan of Wim Hof. I really like his techniques. I use his techniques. So he's kind of gotten a bit of noise around him at the moment. So therefore people are jumping onto the bandwagon of ice baths. They're filming themselves in ice baths. That's feeding the algorithm. That will be gone in about six months, I think, right? They'll jump onto some other fad or some other trend. And most of those people actually will never do ice baths again. I also believe that. I've been using cold therapy for about seven or eight years now. So it's not new to me. Mm As a matter of fact, a lot of the kind of experts in Ireland have come to me for advice on, you know, how to set up ice baths because they know I know. Um, And ultimately, back to your question, the reason I've been doing cold therapy is because seven years ago, I did discover Wim Hof. So he was the first kind of inroad in there, if you like. Um, And then I looked at the science behind it. So by doing an ice bath, you're 100% reducing your cortisol levels right there and then your stress hormone is coming down. Uh, Also, it sets your body alkaline against disease scientifically proven and then uh reduces inflammation in your joints and then finally it's just a battle for the mind so it's brilliant for resilience so there's any amount of reasons that i do it um and you know i've been doing it as i said for seven years does it get
0: easier because i said the one i saw where you had massive chunks yeah. of ice floating mm. in, in, and i was like do, does it get easier or do you get accustomed to it or is it the same it challenge differs. Every it depends day. on what mood yeah.
1: you're in, depends on how much sleep you get. Mm. Uh, but uh, in an overall context, it definitely gets more controllable. So what I mean by that is the first couple of times most people get an ice bath, they can't breathe. Like the breath mm-hmm. just goes and the panic just mm. kicks in and so on. Like I can comfortably sit in an ice bath for an extended period of time if I wish to. Um, I don't believe that's good for you, by the way. Uh, for an extended, extended period of time. That's why you have to be careful now because with what's going on online, there's people challenging each other. I was in it for 10 minutes. Oh, I was in it for 15 minutes. Oh, I was in it for 20 minutes. You don't need that. The optimum mm. level to be in an ice bath is two minutes. And do you know the amount of people listening to this right now who go, I could never do that. I could never get an ice bath. Because that's what the, the initial reaction that people have to me when I say about an ice bath. Oh, not for me. And I say to those people, well, do you want easy? If you want easy, okay, make sure your cholesterol's nice and high then. If you want easy, make sure you're a good few pounds overweight, but you know where that's leading you. I never choose easy. I always choose the hard way. And it's fantastic for your mindset and for stepping outside of your comfort zone. And I enjoy it. Is it easy? No. I mean, do I... Actually enjoy it when I'm in there. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I hate it, and I make myself do it anyway. I don't negotiate with myself because I know it's good for me. So I was in there yesterday. Uh, the day before, I was in the sea. The sea now is—I tell you now—it's after getting. I've been in the sea consistently over the winter. It's to me, it feels like it's at the coldest right now. Now it could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe that's just in my head. But I was in the sea just two days ago. And it was freezing, like really cold. But I enjoy that. I feel fantastic afterwards. There is a lot to be said for contrast therapy. I think that's going to be the next step. Wim Hof, that is, he is pushing the cold therapy a lot because I think that's really his USP. But if you go over to Stroh, which is narrow north of Amsterdam, to one of his seminars, like immediately after you do the ice bath, you're in his sauna. So he, like he uses a sauna a lot himself, right? Uh, contrast therapy, the science is pretty solid that that's amazing for you as well. And really, it's like a full cardiovascular workout. Like, because think about it, your vessels and your um, your ventricles and, you know, your arteries, your veins, they're all constricting when you're in the ice bath. Now, if you go into a sauna, they expand out, go back into the ice bath, they constrict down. So that's pushing the blood through at a certain rate through your body, which is clearing plaque. It's clearing cholesterol. It's doing all kinds of metabolic things that you can't do with just exercise. Um, so the next stage for me, even is I'm probably going to get a sauna in the, in the back garden as well as the ice bath, you know.
0: Very good. I'm um, I'm toying with the idea. I haven't quite got there yet. I, I can handle the sea swims in the summer, which is still pretty cold, but... Uh... Yeah, I
1: mean, the water temperature here goes up to, uh, I guess, I don't know, it's definitely double digits. Anyway, probably 13, 14 mm. degrees, the sea temperature here. I don't know, it's probably 6 degrees or something like that at the moment. Mm. I, I get my ice back down to 1 degree. Anybody out there is kind of interested in this, though. I mean, it's quite simple. You just have your hot shower today or tomorrow, whenever it is, and then At the very end, turn it on now as cold as possible, not halfway, right? It has to be as cold as humanly possible. wait till it gets cold. And then just in your head, go one, 1,000, two, 1,000, and get to 10. Just 10 seconds. Then the next day, add on an extra five seconds, count to 15, then count to 20. And two minutes is the optimum level for health. You don't need to go longer than two minutes. You get the benefits at two minutes. So once you get to two minutes, that's what you want to do consistently every day is two minutes. Very
0: good. So in terms of wrapping this up, um, I think people are, have got a really good feel for some of the different aspects of mm. your career from the TV to author to keynote speaker. Um, people that want to get in touch, where can they follow you on social media or connect on LinkedIn? What, what are the best ways for yeah, people to want to... So I wanna- suppose
1: people listening to this is probably LinkedIn. So it's just Keith Barry on LinkedIn. Again, you know, 95% of the time, it's actually me on LinkedIn. The other 5% of the time it's you know one of my team but like generally speaking if somebody really wants to have a meeting with me about an event or something like that linkedin is the best place and then all of the other usual places i'm on there as well so you know with instagram that's where i put out the ice bath work a lot of brain hacking for fun goes out there then facebook as well uh, and again you know a lot of people ignore facebook even businesses so i say most of my ticket sales for my public events come through Facebook so really? if you're listening to this don't ignore Facebook Facebook is still a very valuable tool um, so yeah I mean, I'm on all the platforms just Keith Barry uh, I managed to get Keith Barry I think on all of them as opposed to Keith Barry official or at Keith P Barry at one stage and one of them like, so yeah. yeah and you, you got
0: have, the website is
1: Keith Barry yeah Keith is the best place to get in direct touch um, because I have eyeballs on the emails that come through there every day, so yeah, keithbarry.com. A lot of information up in, on the website as well, because the website is a brand new website. I just got it reskinned. Yeah, uh, recently. So yeah, and
0: you're back for TalentCon this year with the Employment and Recruitment Federation, who are very good friends of the show.
1: Yes, I'm really excited, and lots of new material for that. We're looking so, forward to looking it. forward to that as well. And then, and then, just when you say like with because we never really went there, but real quick like just with giant goals. Yeah. Like I've just set myself another giant goal. I'm probably uh, going to get into trouble for saying this now but um, I'm, I'm doing seven more live events this year in Ireland like public events just for fun and then I'm not doing any next year because in 2026 I'm going to do the three arena. So I've set that as my big goal, goal wow. for 2026.
0: Fantastic. Well, Dare we, I say it. We will be there. And <laughs> Don't we'll tell we'll... anyone. I'll get into trouble. <laughs> we'll be there and we'll make sure that we uh, we share it and get it out there as well. That's Fantastic. I want to say thank you so much for coming in and doing this. I thanks really appreciate me. it. Looking forward to seeing you at TalentCon. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please follow us uh, on YouTube. So it's at talent Matters underscore podcast. Uh, you can find the same address on Instagram at talent Matters underscore podcast on uh, TikTok. Thanks to my daughter, Callie. Uh, we are at talent Matters underscore pod. And uh, yeah, make sure you uh, keep in touch. Thanks, Keith. And we'll see you next Cheers. time.